we're, we're uh, in Ecclesiastes. It's a bit of a weird book, in, and we're going to touch on why. Um, but uh, so far in it, we've been introduced to this idea of living with an open hand, remembering that life is kind of like the breath that is so much more so much more common in Tasmania than it is in Queensland. <laughs> when I get up in the morning, I can see my breath, but, but only for a moment, then it's gone. And if I ever tried to catch it and like put it in a jar to like, you know, show my Queensland friends, look, you really can't see your breath down here. It, it, it wouldn't work. I get frustrated and I'd look like an idiot. And, and if we treat life like something we can grab hold of rather than something we just got to receive as a gift and when it's gone, well, it's gone, then we will get frustrated and will actually look foolish at the same time. So we've seen that. We've been encouraged to consider time as a quality rather than counting the seconds all the time. And also, after poking holes at all the way in that, that we live, the teacher has also demonstrated a bit of humility by poking holes in his own theories last week. Um, so there's a bit of cynicism to, uh, to start your afternoon. And, and in fact, that's kind of what the teacher does. He pokes holes in your theories. You know who else did that? Does anyone know anything about philosophers? So the philosopher who he was probably somewhere closest to was probably this guy Socrates, who you may have heard of either as a very good Brazilian soccer player or as probably more likely a famous thinker and philosopher. And his thing was just going around people and asking them questions. What do you do that for? Yeah, so why do you do that? So what does that help you? Yeah, so why is that? And just like, and he was really actually quite a pest if you read the original sort of like sources on him, uh, but obviously very, very insightful guy. And Ecclesiastes is kind of a fundamentally negative book like that, and I don't mean it's depressing, but he just goes around and instead of poking people and saying, hey, what about that? What about that? He pokes theories, ways of dealing with the world. and says, hey, what about that? What about that? And he tests them out. He stress tests them. He's always finding the limits of a theory, the limits of a way of living the world. He would read all, he's the kind of guy who'd read all the self-help help books and write the reviews of why that's just silly. And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, true. Yeah, okay. And it's a bit like me, I guess, when I was uh, a kid and uh, we have the Ecker in Brisbane, like, you know, the royal show sort of thing. And uh, we'd get show bags. You guys have show bags at the show? Yeah, yeah. so I get show bag, I got the Thomas show bag, my favourite show bag, my, my most exciting show bag, because I knew inside there was a watch. There was a Thomas watch that flipped the Thomas face open and off of it so you could see the time underneath. I was like, this is like a secret agent watch. This is the best thing ever. And it's Thomas at the same time. And so uh, naturally you want to stress test this sort of thing. So I wanted to find out, is it even awesomer than I thought? Is it, is it waterproof? And so I tested if it was waterproof. And I found out very quickly that it wasn't waterproof. And, and this, this guy here is picking up the microscope or the tap water again in chapter 5, verse 8, and he's going to stress test bits of life again. He's got the microscope out. So we're going to kick off our misty, misty work in chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. Starts out, if you see the poor oppressed in a district, say you see justice and rights denied, don't be surprised. It's just how it is. You see, uh, when, we, when the poor people can't get justice, well, it's just because there's someone in power over them. Who's got someone in power over them? Who's got someone in power over them? And the king's above all, and there's a hierarchy, and there's power. Each level of bureaucracy throwing its weight around. If you've ever tried to cut through red tape, you might have felt that a little bit. I hear getting through a visa is a little bit like that. And everyone along the way has got their little power games to play, and you're just lost in and amongst it. And what's more, in this case, everyone taking their cut along the way. And maybe even in a society where you actually, that was the way to get through the red tape, just grease some palms. Maybe Hobart is like that, I've heard some things. All the way up to the king. And so the teacher says, look, it's to be expected. You think there's some corruption problems in politics in Hobart? Well, it's normal. King takes the gain from the land. That's how it works. 
when there's power and money around, you use the power to get the money. But then, so you think that it makes sense, maybe it's better to be the king then, but then the cycle rolls around and he does the same thing. Okay, so it seems like it's better to be the king, but now let me poke holes at that too. Verse 10, ironically, the lovers of money are guaranteeing by loving money that they'll never have enough money. Set your heart on money and you'll ensure you'll never be happy with how much you've got, says the teacher. Money is a gain trap. A trap thinking you need to gain this and then it'll be okay. More running around, more chasing wind and getting cranky because this, this breath won't stay when you try and jar it. See, because you know what happens to a rich king? Well, rich kings have leeches. Now, I didn't, I was going to, but I didn't put up the very vivid image of leeches that I found on the internet because I know there are some people here who that would really freak out. Um, so I won't, not, not playing at your phobias, but imagine people on you so much that it feels like they're leeches. You see, as goods increase, so do those who consume them, says the teacher. Leeches latch onto power, they latch onto prestige, they latch onto money. And if you succeed in the world's terms, says the teacher, people will be your friend. If you manage to look like everyone else, they'll be your friend. And in your heart, you'll know it's always because you managed to look like everyone else. Or maybe because you look better and they, wanted to, they really want to be your friend then, then they really act more and more like they really like you. And you'll know that it's just because you won the game and they want what you've got. But it's not just leeches, it's also rivals, competitors. See, if you're the king, you've got to watch your back. I wish you'd have, has anyone read through books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings within your memory so you can actually remember it? Is anyone going to have a guess what percentage of the kings of Israel and Judah met an untimely death, maybe by an assassin or something like that, versus how many died of old age or natural causes? What's your guess? Without Googling. What do you guess, Raf? Did you read my script? <laughs> it's, it, it, it's between 40 and 50. Like, you got a, you've basically got a slightly better than one in two chance of getting assassinated if you're the person with all the stuff. It's just not pragmatically wise. You, if you're rich, drive a dodgy car, right? So no one knows. In fact, verse 12 says, the poor who are funding this whole junket may actually end up being better off than the rich who are profiting off them. You see there in verse 12, the bloke who works hard, the lass who goes hard at it all day, eats some two-minute noodles, hugs the family, has a chat, how's it going, hits the hay, they sleep well. <laughs> what are you going to take from them? Their job? You're not going to take that from them. You don't want it. But they sleep well, they're too tired to think too much. The abundance of the rich permits them no sleep, though. What do you, what, what, they've got to work out what they're going to do with all of this stuff that they've got, how to protect it, how to ensure that they maintain that lifestyle, or even go up to the next level. They've got to work out how to protect their stuff from harm and to gain what is needed to protect my stuff that I'm using to protect my stuff from harm. And then you can worry about whether this is your security, if your security is secure enough. And the teacher says, look, I've seen it. It doesn't work. There's always someone who wants it. And it's never going to give you what you actually want. Verse 13 and 14, he even, oh, sorry, I've gone too far. Um, it's, it's already there, yeah. It's, it's gone on. I've actually seen a grievous evil under the sun. Money that didn't just, it's not just like, oh, it didn't give you what you wanted and you got a bit stressed. It actually hurts its owners. 
You see that there? Grievous evil under the sun, wealth that is hoarded to the harm of its owners. There's a guy named um, Jack Whitaker. And in June, uh, oh sorry, though, that was in, uh, in 2002, on the Powerball jackpot on Christmas evening, Jack Whitaker won a record $315 million Powerball. Taxes kicked in, so I only took home about 120 or so million, so, you know, not much, but eventually. But, but like, yeah, he got a fair bit. That was in 2002. In June 2020, Jack Whitaker died. It was a, he had a bit of time, but his life was consumed with all the difficulties that came with it. And the, I, won't, I won't tell you all of the tragedies, and, and, and the, the article isn't even trying to say that every bit of the tragedy is linked to the lotto, but his life got, got, got messed by this, by this money. It's actually a kind of a common story. Abraham Shakespeare in 2006, a truck driver from Florida, won a $30 million lottery jackpot. And after winning, he faced numerous challenges, including people seeking to take advantage of his fortune. He was approached by a woman named Dee Dee Moore, who claimed to be writing a book about him, but she ended up embezzling all his money. And he was even, in the end, tragically murdered in 2009. Suzanne Mullins won a $4.2 million lottery jackpot in 1993 in Virginia. And instead of receiving the full amount of upfront, she was a bit smarter than that, right? So she decided she was going to receive annual installments over 20 years. And a little bit smarter way to do it, right? A little bit less likely to, to do something dumb with your money, just restrain yourselves. However, Mullins encountered financial difficulties and took out loans against her future lottery payments and ended up defaulting on the loans and faced a legal battle and ultimately was left with almost nothing. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, great, I don't buy lotto tickets. I'm not the bad guy in this illustration. Tick. But see, the thing is, it's not lotto that's the problem, is it? It's, it's loving money and everything that money promises to give us. And you can have a gain mindset with money, a mindset that, okay, I need to get it so that I've got what I need. I need to get more. I need to work to my advancement even if you don't have any money. And it might just drive your anxiety. You can have a gain mindset with prestige, even if you think, oh, I haven't made it yet. You can have a gain mindset with power, even while you feel powerless. It's just what you want. And in fact, that's actually how you'll always feel. When you're grasping for these things, you'll only ever see the money, prestige, and power that you don't have, no matter how much you gain. So, so hear the teacher. This, the teacher is trying to, trying to teach you a real-life lesson. You will never have enough of any of those things if those are the things that you want. It's not possible. So what can you do instead? I mean, 5, 14, 16, whatever you get won't be enough. Can't take it with you. In fact, you can't even ensure that your kids will inherit it once you're gone, says the teacher. You can't even set it up at least for someone else to be secure. See, the teacher's seen wealth accumulated by people he knew, presumably people he cared about, to bless their children only to have it lost and leave nothing for them. You see, even money towards good ends is still a liar. Hear that? Even money used towards good ends, it'll still whisper lies in your ear. It can't be secured. In fact, sadly, Jack Whitaker, the last, the last bit of the article that just broke me was when his granddaughter, his granddaughter that he was... He'd arranged everything, spent a lot of time arranging all the bits and pieces that he had left. He actually had quite a sum left still at the end, even though it had been such a hard life because of all that money. And he got that money together, 
And then she died. He couldn't secure her future either. He couldn't keep her safe from harm with all his money, even though it was the thing he wanted most. And you think, that's a good use of money, isn't it? Yes, but he still can't control it. See, what does the lover of money, power, and prestige gain? And the teacher says, hey, understand this. You gain darkness, great frustration, affliction, and anger. You gain misery. Do not, do not love money, prestige, or power. See, we do need to stop and ask the question because especially if you've been a Christian for a while. Like, you'll have heard stuff like this before, and this will kind of be a little bit sort of, you know, baby milk. I know I'm not supposed to think that. And that's fine. You might know you're not supposed to think it, but that doesn't mean that we don't live it. That doesn't mean it's not in our bones, in our habits, in how we do. It's a question to ask yourself. What has prestige, reputation, status, what does it whisper into your ear? That if you just got that job you'd feel like you'd justified the length of your degree. And then I'd be able to feel okay about myself. If I do that, then I'll look like I've actually, I'm actually a functioning adult. Something I aspire to personally. <laughs> and that'll satisfy my heart. And then I'll be able to look other people in the eye because I'll feel like I'm a functioning adult. They'll love me then. They'll accept me then. Then I'll be able to, I'll be able to feel confident then. And these are the lies that money and power and status whisper into our ears. It's worth stopping and asking, what have my habits reveal? What does what I do reveal about what I think will make me secure? These are the game traps. I want to encourage you tonight, have that conversation with someone you trust. Talk it out. Like you might find nothing. Fantastic. Hallelujah. You'll probably have a really fun time in the conversation anyway because you'll actually be a joyful person. But talk it out. Work it out. Have the chat. Do it together. Particularly if you're a verbal processor. Or otherwise, maybe go home and journal. Ask yourself the question, what have they been whispering in my ear? Now, the teacher doesn't just, just go negative. He gives us some tips. So 5.18. He gives us three tips to avoid gain traps. Three tips. This is how we do it. First one. Work is hard, bleed and work. Work sucks. But enjoy it anyway. Get amongst it. Enjoy it. That's what you've got. It's not the ideal. He's not saying this is great. He's not saying that this book that has this as his main selling thing is going to fly off the shelves, but it's the best thing we got. It's what we've got. It's not the best thing, but it's what we've got. It's a pragmatic philosophy that this teacher's got. It's not idealism. All he's got is, look, I've, worked, I've looked at what everything else is. This is your best bet. Ain't great, but it's your best bet. Labor's toilsome, but enjoy it anyway. 518. Tip number two, 519, recognize that God is the source of the gift. Whatever you have that is good, this is God is the source of that. And that's going to remind you that it is a gift. So that you can do 519, you can just enjoy the present moment. You see, see, see this last bit here. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. If you're connected with God, the gift that God gives is to live in the present, to be able to, to be able to be in the present with God and with whatever gifts he's given you 
and to enjoy that moment, the moment that you're standing in. I right now, okay, I stand up here slightly stressed about whether I've done a good job of this sort of stuff, slightly uncomfortable in my shoes that are kind of the wrong angle, feel a bit weird hoping that my technology is going to work out okay and that I've got the slides in the right order for like once, like, you know, hoping that I've done all of the things that, I, that I'm supposed to do sitting here stressed. And what's that? I'm thinking about the past. Did I do it right to prep? I'm thinking about the future. Will it go wrong? What if I just stood here and looked in some of your eyes? and enjoy the fact that you're humans and I'm with you and this is a connection and we're talking and I'm getting to talk about God. What a cool thing that is. And you guys want to hear about God and what a crazy thing that you're willing to put up with, you know, with my speaking to actually get him. Like, this is, beautiful. This is a lovely thing, isn't it? Why can't I enjoy that? I've even got a bit of leather that's here that I can put my hand on while I do it. I love leather. This is really, like, what have you got right now? Maybe you've got a warmth in your heart because you've got a literal jacket on and you feel warm. That's nice. Maybe you've got a, a memory that you're, that's sitting with you of the person who welcomed you when you got here. Or maybe you don't, but if you stopped and thought about it, you could because someone did welcome you when you got here. Maybe there's someone sitting next to you and that's really beautiful, but you haven't stopped to enjoy it. Note the present, says the teacher. Recognize that God's the source of those gifts and enjoy him and his presence. And, well, labor's hard, but you know what? Your best bet's to enjoy it anyway. That's all you've got. The three tips for avoiding gain traps. Now, as always, the humility of the teacher here, as we move into chapter 6, it's not sort of your religious humility. Like, it's not, oh, I recognize the great glory of God and, I, and I'm sitting there and just contemplating his amazingness and how small I am in comparison to that, that amazing bigness of God and I'm going to sit down. The teacher, he, this is a, it's an unusual bit of the Bible, right? He's, he, it's, it's not honoring God for who he is. This is just pragmatic. He's just like, no, nah, this works, mate. This is just what works. I tried it all out so you don't have to. And this is what chapter 6 gives us, pragmatic reasons for that same kind of humility that, would come as well from recognizing and seeing God in his great glory. So chapter 6, 1 to 2, sometimes God does give money and power and status, but sometimes he doesn't give the joy. He Sometimes he sees it given to other people. The teacher's seen that happen to people, that, and, and it really seems to affect him. He, he, he's affected by the fact that, that God's not just going to give out stuff when people do the right things. We can't demand that, and, and, and it's horrible. In fact, he gets really down on this. The teacher seems to be really stark and bleak in this section, almost worse than anywhere else. It's, there's a kind of unrest here in this time where you can't enjoy what God's given you. So that if you're in a place where you've got this mindset of, I need to gain before I can enjoy, I need to, to do more before I can feel legitimate, I need to, to grab more before I can feel confident, I need to be a little bit better before I can be connected to God and people. If you've got that mindset, then he sees that as not just, well, you know, you're not really gaining anything. It's a bit, you know, grasping it there. It's actually an un, it's, it, it's a loss to be living that life. You're better off not to be living than living that life. That's a horrible life. It is, it is unrest. It is anti-rest. He's disturbed by it. Toil is for the mouth, he says. We have toil for our mouths, but, but there's no satisfaction in it. And so in the end, he says, if what we're doing is this kind, looking for this kind of gain in 6 verse 8, the wise have got no gain over fools. 
we're going around the circle. Started out with the poor, poor, poor were worse off because they're getting oppressed by the people with power. Then the people with power are getting all the money. So, you, okay, so that, that's, that's a, just power is helpful. That could be the way to live pragmatically if you're not worrying about morality. But then, no, actually things are worse for those guys. And so you just got to come back to the, to the uh, receiving things as a gift. But what if God doesn't give you the gift? And, and round and round the circle it goes. Where at the end, all we can do is receive what God does give. And that's hard. Sometimes, anyway. All we can do is receive what God does give. See, the thing about receiving is you don't get to choose what the gift is. Elena gave her friend Spencer a gift this morning, and she didn't ask him what he wanted. She went, she got the Lego, she wrapped it up in very cool wrapping paper, and gave it to him, and he, he didn't get a say in it. And I wonder, have you been dissatisfied with what you've been given? Either now, or at some other point in your life. Are there things that you've been given that you could only receive with weeping? No, I feel that. That's been me at times. See, this time this, this, this preacher, this teacher says, yeah, gift is, to receive life as a gift rather than scraping for gain is much better, but gee, it's in a, it's in a context of blackness, of darkness. And yet still, he doesn't have great answers. This is the thing doesn't have great answers. All he can do here is say, uh, sorry, back to nine. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Even when things are bad, you still can't do anything better than to sit with what you've got. It's better whatever you're seeing is better than that wandering and wondering and hoping for and reaching out for and trying to grab something you don't have. A crumb in the hand is worth two birds in the bush, he says. Now, this is the funny thing. It's weird because I'm, I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm painting depression here as, I, as I'm reading this stuff out. But the, the teacher here, he, he, he thinks of this as positive. He says this to bring us joy. He wants you to have a much more joyful life, but it's just not rosy. It's not idealistic. It's, it's, it's not Disney. It's sort of the opposite of Disney. It's like telling you all the stuff that most other people are far too polite to tell you. And the teacher's not too polite to tell you. And so it's great because it actually gives you permission to have thoughts that you're too polite to let yourself know. 6 verse 10. All right, back here. Whatever exists has already been named. Whatever humanity is has been known. No one can tend with someone who's stronger. The more words, the less meaning. You see, God's territory is to be in charge of... Where are we? Where's my mountains gone? Oh, didn't mean the mountains. See, even my, even my slides are smoke. Um, I want you to imagine... Um, we, we, we did the climb up the ice house track a week and a half ago, it was thereabouts, and went across the top and it was just a snowstorm, it was so cool. So down the bottom, it looked like actually quite a bright and sunny day. It was fantastic. And I'm like, oh, okay, this will be cool, we'll get up there, we'll have a look. When time we get up to the top and it um, looked at the app and the app says, yeah, it feels like minus 12. Like, this is literally a snowstorm. It was really beautiful, I loved it. Um, my, my hands I couldn't feel, but it was really cool. Um, and. And so from the bottom, I couldn't see what was over the other side. And it's the same with death and with us. We can't see what's on the other side. Whatever God's got planned, God's got planned. And it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter what I'm looking at. Either. If I think, oh, look, I can see what God's doing in my life from this side of the mountain, it's kind of hilarious. 
because I'm up there on the top of the mountain. I'm like, oh, I didn't see this coming. Like, I didn't see Mel and I actually trying to be really careful. Oh, is that snow or is that ice? Because if I put my foot in ice, I'm going to, you know, go through ice or something. I didn't see that coming. And how could I? And how could we? Look, we'll get to that. So far, we've seen this, 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 this humility that we have to have before what God gives or doesn't give. We've sort of seen that. But we haven't really investigated the cause of it, have we? Like we haven't stopped and said, we've seen the world is difficult to live within and the teacher's trying to pragmatically work through it for us. But we haven't said, how did it get that way? Why? Or what, for what purpose does that have? I guess that makes sense because, you know, we're, we're people with eternity in our hearts and we want to know the why, but um, the teacher's already said, but you can't. So it makes sense that he doesn't investigate it. But there's a few options. I want to see, we've got a few options. It, it could just be, how did the world get this way? It could just be, well, that's just how God made it. Because remember, there was a part earlier that said, well, you, just, you remember that you're just like the animals. You, you, you're bound to the cycles. You're, you're, you're an earthy being. You came from dirt. You're going to return to dirt. So, you know, you're just not, you're just not eternal in that, in that way. But, but the teacher here, like the, the way the teacher's talking in this passage, it seems so much more dark than that, doesn't it? It's not just, yeah, okay, you're limited. No, here it's, there's something evil about this. This is not okay. So it might not be just how God made it, though it is. Is it also that sin broke it? The world's been broken, now things suck. And that's, that's why the, the teacher needs to investigate what's good for man to do because humans don't know what's good to do anymore because we knew good and evil and then we, we lost that ability to tell right from wrong, good and evil. That's why he's got to do the investigating. And yes, sin does break our world and we experience the consequences of that every day. But there's actually something more here. There's something different. In Genesis, God frustrates creation a few times. Did you notice that? So in response to sin, God brought this curse of weeds and expulsion from the garden. He brought death, the limit on your life. He limited the humans who were trying to get together to rebel against him and spread them across the world and uh, change their languages so they couldn't actually unite against him. He, he limited the violence that they could do to each other by just washing the world clean and just ending it once for all rather than letting the torture drag out. He then shortened the length of their lives so they weren't living for 900 and something years anymore, but they're 120 years. Why did God do that? Romans, Romans tells us a little bit about it. Romans 8 it says here, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's God. God has done it for a reason. Yes, life is, we're limited and the creation's big and it's bigger than us. Yes, sin has broken it and we can't quite work it well anymore. But actually God's deliberately done that too. And so when we get to the conclusion of the teacher, of this, the conclusion of this section, he says kind of what Mel and I said to each other about a situation we were trying to control the other night. All this I tested by wisdom. I said, I'm determined to be wise. And this guy's the smartest guy around. He said, I'm going to grow up one day. When I grow up, I'm going to be wise. And he spent all his life, he's, he's got degrees coming out. He's got more letters after his name than in his name. This guy has done everything. But in the end, he says, nah, but wisdom was beyond me. It's beyond me. I can't get wise. 
have you have you come to that point in life with, with, with a particular endeavor that you've had where you're just like, no, nah, it's just beyond me. I realized I can't do it. I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. I can't get there. Maybe it's a task you're trying to do, uh, an assignment, uh, something at school, something in your job, it's, uh, 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 an ambition you thought when you were a kid, I could be that person. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, actually, only very, very special people could do. And you feel a bit like a failure. That's the moment when God says, excellent, finally, now we can do some real business. Now we can mould the clay. In that moment, I think that I'm I failed. I think that I'm shamed. And yet God thinks I finally had the breakthrough that all this was meant to teach me in the first place. You see, I'll tell you what I need to be rescued from. Peter could have said, I need to be rescued from having all the answers. I loved, I, I loved preaching because I wanted to help people know the answers, but I, I loved doing that when I was younger because I thought I had them all. I thought I knew everything from all my clever words. I, 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 and, it was, and then as I got older and older and you're preaching more and more and you're like, oh, hold on, I'm, I've, I've realised I'm dumber than I thought and, and then the world's bigger than I thought and I don't know all the answers. And then all of a sudden, the thing that was so joyful when I thought I knew everything becomes really, really hard and really, really sad because I still felt that I needed to have all the answers to give them to people. Instead of just being some Gumby who happened to meet the guy who's got all the answers, who wouldn't tell me what they were, but he would walk with me through life and bring me to God. Because that's who Jesus is. God did this to our world so we would have to face the fact that we cannot master our world. The world frustrates us at every turn so that we would come to him. So that you recognise you don't have the answers, you have failed, and that's not just okay, that is success for God to get you to the point where you can come to him and want to be with him. This is God's vision of, of what Christians are like. This is in Romans 8, this great, great, great chapter of conquering, all conquering Christian heroes. What's, what's it like to be a Christian? The Spirit helping you in your weakness. You not even knowing what to pray for. And the Spirit himself having to pray for you because you don't know how to pray. And him being so intimately with you, so your friend, so connected to you that he knows your mind, that he knows your heart so that he can go and tell God, hey, God, this is what's going on for him. He doesn't even know himself well enough to know that, but I'll, I'll tell you because I've been with him. I've been with her. See, what are you going to do with the world being beyond you? We've got five options. My friend gave me these, the, the five Fs. Uh, I can fight it. I can fight the world being beyond me and I, can, and, I can, and I can conquer the world and convince myself and fight and, and succeed so that I can have a sense of control. But I'll lose. Eventually, I'll lose. I'll be able to ensure that my life is good enough. I'll be able to ensure that I'm successful enough. I'll be able to ensure that my, my children uh, comply with what I'm saying at every moment. And all of that stuff that I'm trying to control will just laugh at me in the end. Or I could flee it. I could run away. I could just run away and tap out of life. I could freeze up. Just not be able to face my failure in any way, stop. Or I could face it. I could grab a friend 
I'd love to be that friend if need be. And I could face it and go to the Jesus, go to God, ask the Holy Spirit, will you be with me while I don't know what I'm doing? God, will you know what I'm doing and have me not know what I'm doing? Will you please just be with me? And will you help me to be okay that you know, what I'm, that you know what's going on? And I'm standing at the bottom of the mountain range, looking up at the mountain, knowing that even what I think I can see, when I can see a little bit of snow coming over the top, there are ranges and ranges and ranges of history coming forward. And I've got no idea what any of it will bring. But I know the one who actually will bring all of that to a head in one day. That's the wisdom the teacher wants you to bring you to. He wants to bring you to the wisdom of recognizing your failures and your limits. But that's not a failure. That's the success. To then be able to go to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your... You're not letting us think that we know it all. Thank you, God, for those times when I felt like an utter failure. When I've become aware of what was always true, that I'm not enough to overcome the world, that sin has broken me and my heart, and that, Lord, you've deliberately put in place things to frustrate my attempts to, to, to overcome that so that I'll come to you and to be with you. God, thank you that that's what you want. Thank you that you just want humble people who are willing to be just the messed up people that we are and to come to you and ask you to be what we need, to rely on you, to not be trying to carve out security for ourselves elsewhere. Father, I, uh, I fail at this all the time. It's in my bones. My, it's in my habits. Father, help us this week to talk about it, to come to each other as weak, maybe to ask someone else, Father, to, to ask them if they can see where we are actually living this life of gain because one of our weaknesses is that we can't see where we're doing that. Father, please, please, whatever your means, through your Holy Spirit directly, through your Word and Spirit combined, through your Word and Spirit and brother and sister combined together, Father, help us to see ourselves rightly. And Father, please help us to go to Jesus. And Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who walks with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being there inside us and wanting to be so close to us. And that you know the way we're going. You know where it's all heading. And that we don't have to know the way because we know the one who does. Amen.